0: Now today we're going to finish Romans chapter 9, and as uh, you know, we have been coming through the book of Romans. The book of Romans is probably uh, the, the greatest single book in the Bible for you and for me as a New Testament Christian. Certainly Romans chapter 9, uh, 10 and 11, we know that as the segment that God is teaching you and me as the New Testament Christian about God dealing with the nation of Israel. And we, uh, we've been in chapter 9, and we've seen the importance now of you and I understanding where God is at with the nation of Israel, especially in the day and age that we're living in. You're going to find that not only every country, but just about uh, most churches today, take an anti-Semitic approach. In other words, they're against the nation of Israel, uh, and they've taken uh, uh, Israel out of the picture of God dealing with them, and uh, we, we know that from the Bible that that's not true. And we've studied it out now coming through the book of Romans and we put everything in a context, and we've seen now from chapter nine some great things. We saw how God has called the nation of Israel out. We looked at the word elect or the word election. And we now know from our past studies that God elected the nation of Israel, and the word election or elect is never found in the Bible and in use to an individual, but only to a nation, and that nation is the nation of Israel. We saw how that God called them out, because in the Old Testament, God is using the nation of Israel, and we saw this last week, that uh, God wants to get the honor and glory out of everything that they do. And then that through them, God was going to take and reach out to the Gentile nations, and as the Bible uh, says that God said to Abraham, who is the father of the Jews, who is the very beginning of the nation of Israel, He said to them in one place that all the nations of the world would be blessed in Israel, Another place, he said, all the families of the earth will be blessed in the nation of Israel. Now, so far, we've looked at verses uh, 1 through 5, and we saw uh, how they should have never lost everything that God had for them. In fact, if you remember, and you ought got to have these in your Bible now, we talked about the eight things that God gave them that they should have never lost sight of that would have kept them uh, keeping God's blessing. Then we saw in, in verses 6, 7, and 8, how that the Word of God did have an effect. Even though the nation of Israel rejected God and God's Word, the Word of God did have an effect on some of them, and we saw how that some of them had actually gotten saved, and uh, you know, we saw them throughout the New Testament. Then we talked about understanding the word elect, and the word election. We put in perspective what it means when God says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And then last week, you remember, we talked about probably... And I told you this last week, the single greatest concept about God that you and I will ever understand. And there's a lot of things about God that are very important. There's a lot of things about your own personal relationship with God that are very important. But I think the single greatest aspect that you need to understand about God that puts everything into perspective. It puts your life in perspective. It puts uh, your, your ministry in perspective. It puts the world in perspective. It puts history in perspective. as the single greatest thing we talked about last week, and that is simply this, that God has created everything, including you, for one purpose, and that purpose is that God will get the honor and glory out of everything that you and I do. If you had any doubts in that, After last Thursday night, when Brian asked a question about nuclear structure, and we went back to the Bible, and I showed you the the real biblical context of nuclear structure and how it pertains to God. It should be very clear to anybody at this point, if you're staying along in the Bible, that God created everything, everything physical, everything spiritual, for one reason, and that is that it would give Him the honor and glory. God, because of who He is, demands the honor and glory out of everything. And then we talked about how that related to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was God's chosen people. God chose them, He elected them, He brought them out that through them He might reveal His glory to all the world and then receive the glory back through the nation of Israel. We talked about vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. How that God wants honor and glory out of everything, But bottom line is, you and I have a free will, don't we? You and I have a choice. The first choice you and I have to make is the choice to be saved. When you choose to trust Christ as your own personal Savior, that's the greatest choice you could ever make in life. And at that point, your eternal destiny is is taken care of. Now you belong to Him. And now God wants to take your life just like He took the nation of Israel. And you know what God wants to get out of your life? The same thing He wanted to get out of the nation of Israel. The honor and the glory. God wants to take your life and my life, put you into circumstances, put you into situations, send you to people, talk, put you in places and scenarios where you have to, when you do what the Bible says you're supposed to do, people look at you and they see God in your life and through that God gets the honor and glory. But that's your second choice. Your first choice is to trust God as your own personal Savior. And that's a choice I'd I'd encourage you all to make. The second choice is based on the fact, will you give Him your life and everything in your life once you get saved? You wouldn't think that would be much of a choice, would you? Chris, in his devotion last week, he he took Romans chapter twelve and a great passage, and he says he talked about the fact that we to make our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And then the Bible says, which your which is your reasonable service. I don't know why we think once we get saved, and God saves us from hell and all of the things that are in this life. I've never understood why some of God's people at that point balk at giving God everything I mean isn't it a reasonable thing to assume that the one that died for you in the cross who once you to understand he has a plan for your life there's something he wants to accomplish in your life that he wants to get honor and glory out of that wouldn't you think that that's not unreasonable a lot of God's people get saved and then they think that it's unreasonable for God to ask to give them up what they want to do in life. No matter what it may be. And the truth of the matter is, it's not unreasonable. And the truth of the matter is, God, like the nation of Israel, and you and me, and these are the great parallels we've talked about, God's going to get honor and glory out of everything that He created. The nation of Israel is going to go have to go through the Great Tribulation period. Right now, the nation of Israel is a vessel of dishonor toward God. But it doesn't matter because God will get the honor and glory out of everything, whether we are go along with him or we go against him. And Israel's gonna go through the great tribulation period, and they're gonna come back from God. And out of that, God's gonna get the honor and glory. And right now in your life and my life, God wants you to give God everything in your life to become that vessel of honor. And yet In a perfect world, that would be such a thing as as William played today uh, about, uh, you know, Jesus is all the world to me. I wish that was true in God's people's lives. Jesus is all the world to me, but in too many of God's people's lives, Jesus is taken out, and that song simply is, the world is everything to me. But either way, God's going to get the honor and glory. We'll either give it to Him, voluntarily, or he'll take it, but he's going to get it one way or the other. Now today we're going to learn another great lesson, and we're going to move on here. And again, there's a lot of of prophetic stuff here, a lot of doctrinal things here, but oh, there's some great inspirational parallels, and we'll see why. And this is where we're coming to the end of the chapter. Today we're going to see how Israel fell. Today we're going to see what took place in Israel's life, that they were once the greatest nation the world has ever seen. They were once the nation that was favored by God, and God gave them blessings and promises and securities that He never gave any other nation. And then they fell from that grace. They fell from that grace, from being God's vessel of honor to God's vessel of dishonor. You know there's a warning in the Bible, and I've always, I've, always, I've never done this, but I always wanted to take some time, and I just probably will never get it done, But I've always wanted to take the time and catalog all the warnings in the Bible. I think that'd be a great thing to have. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, he says this, Looking diligently, lest any man fall from the grace of God. Now that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. That just simply means that you don't have God's favor in your life anymore. And now instead of going with the flow, God's flow, you're going against the flow. And that can be a pretty costly scenario. Now, I want to end this up today by reading Romans chapter 9, verse 25 and 33, and then we're going to put these verses together. I'm going to give you today, toward the end of our message, one of the greatest studies you'll ever take in the Bible. And I'm telling you that now because you'll want to get these notes in your Bible, and uh, maybe you can't get them down today as we go through, but you'll want to get the tape and get them in there. This is one of the greatest single studies you'll ever take in the Bible that really deals with how Israel fell why they fell, and I want to tell you something else, the parallels between you and me are incredible, absolutely incredible. All right, let's read Romans chapter 9, verse 25, as he saith also in Hosea, now I know that that doesn't look like Hosea, Hosea was the Mexican prophet that traveled around in the Old Testament, O.C. doesn't look like Hosea. And just so you know, because somebody will ask you that when you start teaching the Bible, look down at verse 27. There's Isaiah, see? That doesn't look like Isaiah that we know. The reason for that is, very quickly, is the fact that it's the difference between one being in Hebrew coming to English, and then one being in Greek coming to English, the New Testament in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew, they're not spelled the same from the languages. That's all that is. As he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people. And her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Sounds kind of confusing, doesn't it? Well, we'll get it all straightened out here. Isaiah, verse 27. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. Because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth, and as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth hath left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and has been like unto Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Then shall we? Uh, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even a righteousness which is of faith. But Israel. Which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because of what I just said, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for those that are here today. We pray, Father, that you'll take the Word of God through your Holy Spirit and you'll touch our hearts, that you'll give us exactly what we need today. Uh, Lord, you know what's in each of our hearts. There may be people here today, Lord, that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. There may be people here today, Father, who, who are struggling in their marriage, struggling in their own personal relationship with you, struggling with some deep thing that they're dealing with in their own life right now. Help them through this, Lord, no matter what we say, and no matter what the context is here. Holy Spirit of God, I pray you'll meet the need of everybody here today. That you'll show them that the Bible has the answers for everything that we face in life. And we ask you now, Father, to open up the Scriptures to us. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will flow through me, first of all. And then, Lord, I pray that it'll flow into the hearts and the lives of these people. May we be a receptive people today, Father. May we look at what you have for us, whether we like it all or whether we don't like it all. May we understand that it's what God has for us. And sometimes when we were little children and we, had, we were sick, we didn't like the medicine that the doctor prescribed. It didn't taste good. It, 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 we didn't want to take it. But we knew the only way that we were ever going to get well was to take the medicine that the doctor prescribed. And Lord, I say to you today that we are sick people today we have infirmities, we have things in our lives that we need the great physician. Help us, even when it doesn't taste good, help us to understand that the Word of God is the medicine, the balm of Gilead, that what we need in our lives to fix every circumstance and problem that we have. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the honor and the glory and the praise and all that you do. In Jesus' name, for his sake we ask it. Amen. Now Israel... As God's nation, the nation that God chose to be the vessel of honor, the elect nation that He wanted in the Old Testament, remember this from our Bible Basics class, that that's the Old Testament scenario that God worked through, that He wanted to work through the nation of Israel and bring the Gentiles in, and His plan was to make the nation of Israel the great vessel of honor, and for a while, for a while that happened. I think the greatest and you know this from your chart you better know from your chart because it's on your test uh, the apex of Israel's history was under Solomon for 40 years no war for 40 years the land was at rest and for 40 years under Solomon it typified everything the way it was supposed to go and God at that point the nation of Israel was the greatest nation on the face of this planet, and every known nation on this planet was coming into Jerusalem to see and experience. We know this is true from the song of, uh, from uh, Queen of Sheba, who comes in to see all that Solomon has, and she sees the glory of God through the nation that God chose. Well, you know how that went. The devil had a plan too. And shortly after Solomon, we see the breakdown. We see Solomon get into all kinds of things that he shouldn't get into. We see his boy and one of his mighty men of valor, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, actually split the kingdom after Solomon's death. And then we watch Israel spiral down like a plane out of control, and in 606 B.C. it crashes and burns. And we see that the greatest nation that God called, that he wanted to use as a vessel of honor, turned into a vessel of dishonor. And now that's where we're at with Israel today. And uh, the first thing I want to do here in this chapter is we want to get a kind of a context here. This chapter looks a little complicated. If you're paying attention this morning or you go out and however you do it and you break this chapter down the way I've showed you to break down everything else in Romans, you'll understand it. Now, here's the first thing I want to draw your attention to and you need to mark these in your Bible. The first thing I want you to see here that's very important is that there's four quotations from the Old Testament. Now, that's very important, because what you're taught today, and taught wrong, by the way, is the fact that all of these things in here are dealing with the church, dealing with you and me as Christians. We talked about Calvinism and the heresy of Calvinism and how that Calvinism is a heresy that teaches that God selected some to go to heaven and others He selected to go to hell. And, of course, we know now from our Bible study uh, through the book of Romans that all of those verses that they're talking about, Uh, It has nothing to do with the church, has nothing to do with you and me, but rather has to do with the Old Testament nation of Israel. And here again, the first quotation found in verse 25 is from Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. In verse 26, you find the second Old Testament uh, uh, reference, and that will be Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. And then in 27 and 28, he moves to Isaiah. And in 27 and 28, it's Isaiah chapter 10, verse 22, And then in verse 29, it's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. Now, here again, setting the context. This is all to the nation of Israel. There's nothing in any of this that is directly to you and to me. He's teaching you and me about how he's dealing with the nation of Israel. That's how it applies to you and me. And when you write yourself into these things directly, you have some problems. Now, both of these Old Testament books deal with, in a historical sense, the captivity of the nation of Israel. And this is what he's getting ready to show you and me. And this is the point that you want to get. And those of you that are in the Bible Basics class now, you're going to see how these things start to pull together. Historically, he's showing you that the nation of Israel, Isaiah, see, Hosea, they were, they were two of the prophets. And uh, they were two of the prophets that preached against the sins of the nation of Israel before they go into captivity. And when they go into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar comes down and takes them into Babylon. And historically, this is exactly what he's talking about. But doctrinally, prophetically, even though historically he's making a reference here to Nebuchadnezzar, prophetically he's talking about the nation of Israel going through the tribulation period and being reinstated and being restored as God's people. And this is what he's saying. We're going to break these verses down here. But this is what he's saying. I told you that I'm going to give you the overall concept, and then we'll come back and we'll put it into uh, proper text. Now, remember the book of Hosea from our Old Testament? Those of you in Bible Institute, you ought to remember it. We've talked about it many, many times on Thursday night. Remember the book of Hosea? What's unique about the book of Hosea? Well, first of all, Hosea was told to take a wife of whoredoms. Now, if you don't know this or not, that was a violation of the Old Testament law. You're saying, you mean God's telling a man to violate the Old Testament law? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why would he do that? He's doing that as an object lesson. Hosea is told to take a wife of whoredoms. And if you read the book, you'll find out why. Because Israel, as God's people, have committed whoredoms against God. So he, hey, when you were an Old Testament prophet, that was a tough job. It's much like, not quite, I mean, today it's not as bad, but it's much like being a pastor today. You know, a a pastor today has to get up and give God's people God's message. And many times, God's people don't want to hear God's message. And it's the old thing where, you know, what they do is they never hear the message because they kill the messenger, you see. And this is why a lot of people today don't like things that preachers say. Uh, Because all he is, is the instrument by which God is giving you the message that God wants you to hear. See, that's all it is. In the Old Testament, it was much worse than that. Not only did they they, they have to go to the nation of Israel, who at this point was totally against anything with God. They all have to become object lessons. Hosea is told to take a wife of whoredoms. Jeremiah was told never to marry. Isaiah, I think he got the bummest deal of them all, he had to walk around and preach the Word of God for three and a half years naked. How about that as a calling for God? Ezekiel's wife died, and God says, bury her, but you can't weep for her. And we look at that and we say, well, what's the big deal here? God is using them as an object lesson. Every one of those prophets represent God's take against the nation of Israel. In fact, you want to understand the major and the minor prophets very clearly? It's simply this. Those were men of God who God sent to the nation of Israel who had ceased to be a vessel of honor and become a vessel of dishonor. God wanting to get them back, sends them the prophets. The prophets go to the nation of Israel. And then what they do in front of that whole nation is take God's side against the whole nation that doesn't want anything to do with God that's a rough job you know what it'd be like it'd be like you or me going to Washington DC and getting all the airtime NBC CBS Fox News and everybody else in the world go right in the middle of Washington and have every news broadcast put you on and then get up in the middle of that and preach against gays and lesbians preach against abortion preach against everything that is wrong and lay it out and then stand up and then at the end of your sermon Do you think the whole crowd would say, oh, you're just a great... They would kill you. That's that's kind of a perspective. That's kind of a perspective. And this is what we're dealing with here. And we were already told when you come down here in the book of Hosea that God in this book has rejected them from being His people. You'll find that in in uh, in chapter 1, verse 9. And in the book of Hosea... God says that he has rejected the ten northern tribes at this time, which was called Israel. And he says, you're no longer my people. I am done with you. Of course, he's speaking temporarily. He says, I'm done with you. And then if you look down through the next verse in verse 10, he says, but I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to restore you, and you're going to be my people again. What is he talking about? And this is where you've got to get it into a context. He's saying that in the Old Testament, I called you out to be a vessel of honor. You've turned into a vessel of dishonor. So I'm going to use you that way, and I'm going to get honor and glory out of you, and you are no longer my people, and I'm going to turn you now over to the Gentile nations. We know that in the Bible study as times of the Gentiles. But, verse 10, I'm going to bring you back, and you're going to be called my people again, but they got to go through the tribulation period before that happens. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 27. Now, I'm going to show you some key words in your Bible here. I'm going to show you some key words that you always want to mark in your Bible. And every time you find these words, it's always going to give you the context. And I've really made an emphasis this year of talking about context with the Bible. All right, look at verse 27. Isaiah. Also crieth concerning Israel. There again, not the church, not Christians, not Calvin. Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Now you take that word remnant. You'll find that word remnant in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 9. You'll find it again in Isaiah chapter 10 verse 20. You'll find it again in Isaiah chapter 10 verse 21. Again, you'll find that in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 9. Again, you'll find that in Jeremiah 31, 7. Jeremiah 39, 9. Again, you'll find it in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 13. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 22. And finally, in your Bible, you'll find in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And Revelation chapter 19, verse 21. Every time you find the word remnant, 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 the context will be Israel in the tribulation period. The nation of Israel gets wiped out down to a remnant. A remnant is a leftover piece. When you buy new carpet, you have a remnant of that carpet. It's what's left over. Much, much smaller than the overall carpet that you laid, okay? Israel is going to get wiped out down to a remnant. And, of course, that's very important to know and understand the context. The next one is verse 28. For he will finish the work. And cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Now, there's two phrases here that you want to see. The first one is finish the work. The second one is a short work. Now, when he talks about finishing the work and connecting with the nation of Israel, he's talking about what we studied a couple of Thursday nights ago. It's been a couple of months ago. Remember when somebody asked a question about Daniel's 70th week back in Daniel? And I showed you how that in in, in Daniel, uh, uh, when you come down through Daniel's 70th week, which is laid out for you in Daniel chapter 9, you find that uh, there's a prophecy there. And the prophecy deals with the time from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. And in that prophecy, you find, very simply, that he says that there's 70 weeks. And in that little figuration of putting it together, you'll find that one year... Uh, represent or uh, one uh, one year uh, represents uh, or one week represents seven years and when you add it all up you have four hundred ninety years from from when they go back to rebuild the temple to the first coming of Christ. you remember in Matthew remember in Matthew when the Bible says Christ was born and the wise men showed up and the Bible says the men from the East came they were wise men you know how they knew you think it was just accident they were traveling through the country Do you know how that they knew that Christ was going to be born? Do you know how they knew that and how they got to where they are? Do you actually think they were reading in the Bible and Matthew, oh, you're going to be born, we've got to head that way. No. They were reading Daniel. The Bible says they were from the east. That's where Daniel was written, east in Babylon. They've got the book of Daniel. They understand Daniel's 70th week. And from that book, they are reading it and knowing exactly, figuring up the years when Christ is going to be born. They knew, I don't have time to get into this tonight or this morning, Uh, it'll be night by the time we're done here today, but I, I don't have time to get into this this morning, but the bottom line is, just as you can figure out the approximate time of the first coming of Christ, if you know your Bible, you can figure out the approximate time of the second coming of Christ. So I saw a Christmas card a number of years ago that showed a picture of the wise man going to him, you know, and the star overhead and everything, and underneath was just a simple little phrase. And I really liked it. It says, wise men still seek him today, and you do, but your wisdom has to come from the word of God. Finish the work. That's the work that he started with Israel. We know right now, not to get into a lot of things, that Daniel's week ceased at the 69th week, and then God put in the church age. And there's yet one week, and that's why the tribulation period, for those of us who know the Bible, is called Daniel's 70th week. So that's where he's talking about here when the Lord is going to finish the work. See? The finish the work is the, is the Daniel's 70th week, and then it says what? It's a what? Short work. You know why? Because it's only seven years long. That's why. So there again, it's a reference to the tribulation period. Look at verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of uh, Sabaoth. Now the word Sabaoth means Lord of hosts. I'll tell you something else. You only find Lord of Sabaoth two times in the New Testament. You find it here in Romans chapter 9, verse 29, and you find it again in James chapter 5, verse 4. The word Sabaoth, or Lord of Sabaoth, was a title always referring to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the Lord of hosts. Psalms 33, 6, But the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all of the host of them by a breath of his mouth. The Lord of hosts, Lord of Sabbath, always represents the second coming of Christ when he comes back and is crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, and everything that was created, all of the host of them becomes his. That's what it's a reference to, wherever you find it in the Bible. Now you need to mark these verses as you come down through here. Then look at verse 29. Now we're going to have a little test. We're going to have a little test now, very quickly here. Note at verse 29, note the reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, is anybody here, and raise your hand here, let's test your little power thinking caps. Anybody here know uh, the illustration that ties this into the tribulation period? Raise your hand when you tell me what it is. What is it? As of what now? As in the days of Noah, that would be very good, but except this is not the days of Noah. Somebody else? Good trial. You're close. Anybody else? John? Oh, that was the hard one, John. I was going to give that the second one, but you did good. That was the hard one. Uh, John got the second question I was going to ask. The second question is about Sodom and Gomorrah, and the answer to that is in Revelation chapter 11, verse 8 where it says, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, talking about Jerusalem, which is spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So there the reference to Sodom and Gomorrah puts it right back into tribulation with Revelation chapter 11. But we still got my first question. Where's that? What, what illustration is it? You were already on the money, honey. You just had the wrong place in the wrong time. Anybody? Yeah. In the days of Lot. You know where that's at? Luke chapter 17, verse 28, says this, Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built But the same day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and destroyed them all, even thus shall it be in the day when a son of man is revealed. You see that? Those two things, Sodom and Gomorrah, and then where it talks about the fact that uh, uh, he did his short work, All of those things is a picture of the second coming of Christ when God comes back. And this is what he's talking about here in this passage. He's talking about that God called the nation of Israel out. He made them a vessel of honor. They rejected it, became a vessel of dishonor. God says, you're no longer my people, but I'm going to bring you back as my people. And then he tells you where he's going to bring them back. When God finishes the work, his short work. When God, when the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. And all of that fits right into that, and a remnant will be saved. All right? Now look at verse 30 and 31. What shall we say then? See, all this is building up to the sing- one of the greatest studies you're ever going to take. So what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, Hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because what I just said, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, in these verses, and you want to get these in your Bible notes too, because this is this is kind of looks like it's kind of confusing. It's not when you explain it. He goes back to making a comparison again between the Jews and the Gentiles. And remember, remember now, and that's how we started the book of Romans. Remember, chapter one was the mindset of the Gentiles who followed law, but followed God by their conscience. And then chapter two was the Jews and they followed a God by the law. And he made the comparison back between the two. And of course, what he's doing here now, and here's the deal, this whole chapter up to this point, especially where we're getting to right now, this whole chapter is getting you to understand who Israel was as far as God's concerned, how he called them out through Abraham, how he formulated them, brought them out under Moses brought them into the land under Joshua, established them under David and Solomon as the greatest nation the world has ever seen, and then they turned their back on him. Instead of being a vessel of honor, became a vessel of dishonor, God put them on the back burner, so to speak. He said, you're no longer my people, and then he turns his attention to the Gentiles. But God is not finished with the nation of Israel, and this is the overall theme of Romans 9, 10, and 11. I told you before, chapter 9 shows you Israel's problem, chapter 10 shows you how the gospel went to the Gentiles, and chapter 11 then shows you how God's going to restore the nation of Israel. And That's the pattern here. Look what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm getting ready to show you the demise of the nation of Israel, how they fell as a vessel of honor, and now they become a vessel of dishonor. Look at verse 30. He says, what shall we say then that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even a righteousness which was of faith? He's saying that the Gentiles who had no law, they were never elect. In the Old Testament, they had no relationship with God whatsoever. Everything they got, they had to get through the nation of Israel. And they were never a race of people that followed after God as Gentiles or followed after His righteousness. But now, see, after Israel's fall, that righteousness goes to the Gentiles through faith. Picture the church age. You know what He's saying? He's saying Israel once had it, but they lost it, so I took it to the Gentiles, and now they got it by faith. That'd be you and me. You know how you got in? You know why you're saved this morning? You know why we have an old past Baptist church? You know why we even have a church age? One reason, Israel, who was God's chosen people in the Old Testament for God to get honor and glory through, refused to do it. So God said, okay, then I'll bring me into a church and I'll get it through them. That's why you're here today. See how that thing fits? If you ever grasp this, you'll be something else to reckon with with God if you ever see your part in this whole thing. Now look at verse 31. But Israel, see, Israel, he says, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. What's he saying? He's saying Israel, who had the election, who had the relationship with God, who had the law, had everything they could want, had the eight things that we talked about in chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, the Bible says they followed it, but they really didn't believe it. Let me illustrate that for you. You all know Christians in your life who claim to be saved, who claim if you ask them if they're saved, they say yes, but they don't live for God, they don't read their Bible, they never witness, they never do one thing for God. The only claim they have that they're saved is what they tell you. Well, that's where Israel's at. You got a Bible. You got the greatest book the world has ever seen. But if you don't read it, what good is it? Pastor said one time, I've heard him say it many, many times, reading the Bible will solve all of your problems. No, it won't. No, no, just reading the Bible will not solve your problems. But applying what you read in the Bible will solve your problems, you see? I, I, I tell you this all the time. There's things in this world of Christianity that I've never figured out. I mean, I understand in the bottom line why things are the way they are, but I sit sit amazed sometimes. I watch God's people who are saved, I guess they're saved, have the Holy Spirit of God living inside them. They have some trouble in their life, some trial they come through, some tragedy befalls them. You know who goes first in their life? God. I said to a guy one time who was going through a very deep time, I said, how much time are you spending in the Bible? Oh, I don't have time for that. I'm too nervous then what good is the Bible you have that if in a time of need you don't go to it? I mean, if you have, you know, if you have a fire extinguisher in your house and your kids are playing with matches and they catch your closet on fire, are you going to sit there and say, boy, that's a good fire they got going? I got a fire extinguisher here, but you know what? I ain't going to do anything. Your house is going to burn down. Why, you'd be in there with a fire extinguisher. You'd be in there with buckets of water. You'd do everything in the world to save your house. Well, let me tell you something. Sometimes when you go through tough times in your life, when I go through tough times in my life, there's only one thing that's going to fix it, and that is applying what the Bible says to your life to fix the problems you're in. It's your choice. You either do it or you don't do it. But that's the example here. Israel, who had the election, they had a relationship with God, They had everything they could want, but because they sought it, verse 32, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. What does that mean? It means that they didn't really believe it. It means like there are a lot of you. You carry your Bible to church, but you never read your Bible. You, you You sing songs on Sunday morning, but you don't sing them throughout the week. You, you, you're just like the nation of Israel. We're just like Israel. We claim to have it all, but we don't do anything with it. I think, the, I think the Romans, or not Romans, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, says it best when it says that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Israel at this time are walking by sight and not by faith. Put that into, into the world's world vocabulary. They're talking to talk, but they're not walking to walk. Like so many of God's people. So many of God's people. To them, all that God gave them became a set of traditions. And that's true of Christianity today. You know the two biggest days in the year in religious circles? It's Easter and Christmas. Those are our big days. Your church attendance, ours don't. But you go to the average church, and you'll say, "Well, we had a great because everybody goes Christmas." You know why? Because you get that you get that nice feeling, a little baby in a manger. You know, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. You know, you get that warm feeling and you think about Christmas and you think about the star and the wise man, and the shepherds and the little little sheep out there going bad and the little baby Jesus in his mother's arms and the mean old innkeeper and old Herod trying to kill everybody. And you say, oh, yeah, you like the fact that he's just a little baby, don't you? You had to quit worrying about the fact he's a little baby and look at him as those eyes as a flame of fire it's going to look down inside of your soul someday. No, oh, no, no, no. We like the two days. One, he's a baby, and the other one, he's dead. God's people are just like Israel. Paul said to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, that, that we have a form of godliness. We have a church service. We have hymnals. We carry our Bibles. We sing songs. We talk all, say all the right things. We just don't live anything. We have a form of godliness, but we deny the power of God in our lives. It's not a problem. that was Israel's problem. I remember one time back in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21. Phinehas, the high priest, his wife, and Israel's in a big mess right now. Israel has departed from God. The Ark of the Covenant has been taken to the Philistines. Boy, that's a picture and a message in itself. And she has a boy, and she names that boy Ichabod. You know what Ichabod means? It means the glory of God hath departed. That was Israel. That's Christianity today. That's the way it is. No living for God. We talk about it, but we just don't do it. Now look at verse 32 and 33. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith. They didn't go after it by faith. That's why they lost it and it went to the Gentiles. Now here comes the problem. Here it is. And this is one of the greatest studies. This is one of the single greatest studies you'll ever take in your Bible. And I'm going to give you all of the references today. And then you can go home and work it out yourself. This will be a great topic for Thursday night. Great time one-on-one. But here is, without a doubt, one of the greatest single studies you'll ever take, and certainly the answer and the way to sum up Romans chapter nine. If you see the nation of Israel that were God's elect, just realize you're sitting on this side. You over here? He tried to outflank you this morning. Oh, he tried to outflank me this morning. I got you. I saw you all along. I forgot exactly what I was going to say, so I don't know what to do. Blame it on them. i got to start back at the beginning. Open your Bibles, so we'll come through it and get it again. This is one of the greatest studies you'll ever find. And it will certainly show you how Romans chapter 9 gets to the point, because now I'm going to show you. And the parallels here are some of the greatest parallels you'll ever make in your life, if you have the ability to make them. This is an incredible thing. This is a great study where he says down here in verse 32, I'm going to read it again. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as were the works of the law, for they stumbled. See that thing? They stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I want to take you through one of the greatest studies in the Bible that shows you Christ in the nation of Israel as the rock of offense, as the great stumbling stone that Israel stumbled over. Now, I'm going to give you a number of verses right now, and then I'm going to give you these verses, and very briefly I'm going to explain how this whole thing goes together. Remember what we've seen now. In chapter 9, we've seen God call Israel out. We see God elect them to be a vessel of honor. We see God discriminating against every nation on this planet in the Old Testament and making them everything that God wanted them to be for God's purpose of getting honor and glory that the Gentiles in the Old Testament might come in. And then we've seen Israel have a problem. We saw their demise. Now I'm going to show you what the demise is. I'm going to show you what became a rock of offense on a stumbling stone that they broke their neck on. But before I do that, I want to tell you a story. Or rather, read your story. And I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Now, in our Bible basics class, and I keep saying that, but most of you are in this, so you, it applies directly to you. I showed you last time the whole aspect of the calling out, the development, the formulation, and the establishment of the nation of Israel, and then I showed you the whole process. In fact, you got a graph on it. you got a chart on it, and you're going to be tested on that chart. Well, the three charts that I gave you, three or four, whatever they were. And, uh, but I laid this thing out to you. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you want one place in your Bible... That sh- this is what I call the definitive passage on the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. If you want one passage that puts everything in a nutshell about the nation of Israel and brings into focus what we're studying in our Bible Basics class and what we've been coming through on Thursday night and coming through on Sunday morning, here it is. You want to mark this in your Bible. This is, the, this is one of the greatest parables that you'll ever find in the Bible. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 33. Now here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. But the husbandman took his servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandman saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, We will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their season. Now that is one of the greatest stories. Now let me break this down for you. And I don't know, you don't want to try to do it today, but sometime you need to get these things that I'm giving you up alongside this story. This story unlocks more for you in the Old Testament and the Bible itself than any other thing I can do. I told you, remember I told you three or four weeks ago that every story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a picture about Israel in their spiritual condition. Okay, here it is again. Now let me break this down for you. Piece by piece. It says, here another parable, there was a certain householder. Verse 33. That householder in our story will be God the Father. It says, which planted a vineyard. That vineyard will be Jerusalem. And the beginning and the fulfillment of God's plan in the Old Testament. Notice it says, he hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it. All right? Hedged it round about there would be the formulation and the calling out of the nation of Israel. He, he hedged it round about. He digged a wine press in it. Look at the next part of that verse. And he built a tower. All right, that brings us up to David. It's David in the Bible that is called the high tower. It's David in the Bible that the term, the tower of David. What you have at this point in this little parable We call it the terrible parable. What we have here is a picture of exactly what we are studying in Romans chapter 9 and what I have been dealing with you in understanding your Bible. God called out a nation of Israel. He protected it. He hedged it about. He built a wine press. And then he built a tower. That would be David. And then I want you to notice something else here as we come on down through here. It says, And he led it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. The husbandmen that he led it out to would be the kings of Israel that come in starting with David. Notice, the Bible says, he goes back into a far country. You know what that means? That means you'll never find any more miracles of God doing with the nation of Israel after David comes on the throne. You find him with Moses. You find him with Joshua. You find him with everything up through, right up through Samuel, everything. But after David, God does no more miracles because he's turned it over now to the husbandman, the kings of Israel. And we're back to a far country. He's watching it from heaven. Israel's been established. Now watch what happens. Here it comes. Here's the devil get into the details. Verse 34. And when the time of the fruit drew near. You know what you got in this story if you can't see it? you got a grape. Vine, you got a grape tree. You got a picture of Israel, uh, Jerusalem as a vineyard. The, the 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 leaders of Israel were to dress the vineyard, the husbandman. It's like a garden. But what did God want through the nation of Israel? What did he want through this garden? He wanted them to bear fruit. You know what God wants in your life today if you're saved? He wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to bear fruit. You know why some of you haven't bore fruit? I know a lot of you new Christians. I'm not even talking to you. I'm talking to people who have been saved 10, 15, 20 years. You know why you haven't bore any fruit? You know why there's nobody you can look back in your life that you won to Christ or God used you in your life? The same reason Israel. You become stagnated to the things of God. And you know what he says there? He says, look at the next verse. Israel was to bear fruit. You and I are to bear fruit. This church is to bear fruit. Everything we do is about one thing, bearing fruit. We just finished our softball season. 22 people have come into this church or gotten saved since we started softball. Why? Because we got a great softball league? Yeah, we do. Because we're out there playing ball? Yeah, we do. No, the reason is is because we look at that as a means to tell people the story of Christ, and we bore fruit. The day this church, whatever it does, quits having behind the scenes the aspect of bearing fruit, we're going to be just come like the nation of Israel. Israel was to bear fruit. You and I are to bear fruit. This church is to bear fruit. Verse 34, and when the time of the fruit drew near, ah, here we go, he sent his servants to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits of it. You know who the servants are? They're the Old Testament prophets we talked about. That's Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, Obadiah, Zechariah, Hezekiah, Philomagio, all those great guys. He sent the prophet. The prophets go and say, hey, Israel, where's your fruit? They do what I do every Sunday. Yeah, the parallels are too real. I stand up here one way or the other every Sunday, look you right in the eyeball, and those bee little eyes of yours, and I say, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Yes, I am. Then where's your fruit? Only two things in life worth investing your life in. What on the souls of men? The other one's the word of God. Where's the fruit? Every Sunday I ask that. They went into the kings of Israel and said, "Hey, king, you know what God called you out to do. You know what your job was. Where's the fruit?" Let me show you the results. And the husbandman took his servants, beat one. That'd be Micah. First Kings twenty two fourteen. Killed another, that'd be Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 23. And stoned another, that's 2 Chronicles 24, 21. Didn't work out very good. Now I'm getting a little worried myself. Y'all look wonderful today. Y'all got great fruit. Not one old, there's a great lesson there. Even in the face of being stoned, and I'm not talking about that kind. (laughs) Even in the face of being stoned. See, you give yourself away. We got one guy back there going, he wants one really bad, I'll just get him. Those prophets never, never flinched in the face. Do you know what it was like not to go up against the king and the nation and take God's side against a people that totally were against God and in the face of being killed, stoned or beaten, standing the line and holding the line and saying, "Thus saith the Lord, where's the fruit?" Not one of them, not one of them flinched, not one of them failed, not one of them saw the opposition in the hangman's noose or the pile of rocks or this and said, well, on second thought, it looks like things are going pretty good around here. You ever pastor, you ever get in the place of the young man where you pastor, your job is to stand on that mark and preach God's word no matter what the opposition is. They want to kill you, let them kill you. You get to go to heaven, it'll be a great deal. Verse 36. And again He sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Oh, here it comes. Here we come. Verse 7. See, all that's been Old Testament. Now look at verse 37. But last of all, He sent unto them His Son. There's the Lord Jesus Christ showing up at the first coming of Christ, coming to the nation of Israel. And God said, They will reverence My Son. But when the husbandmen, that'll be the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him, let us seize on Herod and Herod. And they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and they slew him. There's your crucifixion right there. Verse 40, when the Lord therefore of the vineyard, God the Father, cometh, second coming of Christ, what will he do unto those husbandmen? He's got to work a short work. You know what it's going to do? He's going to put him through seven years called the tribulation period. And the Bible says there's never been a time on earth worse time than that. You better get it down. Verse forty one. They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and he will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, that shall render to him the fruits in their seasons. Now that's the end of the parable but that's just the beginning of what I want to look at here. Look at verse 42. Jesus had just given them this parable. This parable was about them as the nation of Israel and basically a chronicle of their history of how God brought them out, made them special, elected them and how they, for they his honor and glory and then they gave him a sharp stick in the eye. He sent prophets. They killed him. Finally he sent his son and they killed him. Now look what He says to them. Here it comes. Here's Israel's problem. Here it is. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, Israel, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth fruit thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. When the chief priest and his Pharisees heard his, his parables, they perceived he spake of them. Good perception. But when they sought to lay hands on him, They feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Now, I want to talk to you about Christ being the stumbling stone. I want to talk to you about Christ becoming the rock of offense to the nation of Israel and becoming then the stumbling stone for Israel and then becoming the smiting stone for Israel. You want to message the priest down the mission? (laughs) Here's one. Let me give you some verses, first of all, as we set the context, and then we're going to come back and. Have we got a buddy got a watch on today? Hold your hand up if you got a watch on today. Everybody, this is important now. If you have a watch on, keep it up. I didn't say put it down. How many got a watch on? You all got watches on? Why don't the rest of you care what time it is? I love you. I'll preach all day. All right, it's important you have a clock. It's important you have a watch. It's good to have a clock. Somebody tell me why it's good to have a watch today. Why, Bob? I'm going to clean it in just a minute for you that's right sharp woman sharp woman isaiah 28 16 therefore thus saith the you don't have to turn to these you can just write them down i'll read them for you Uh, therefore uh, i don't want you to get pantitis in your wrist here therefore i don't know what pantitis is but it may be pregnancy i'm not sure verse 16 therefore thus saith the lord god behold i lay in zion for a foundation a stone a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4. He says, Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness to our God. Verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Talking about Israel, and, and did all drink of that same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Matthew chapter sixteen, verses fifteen through eighteen, the great story where Peter is asked by the Lord, "Who do men say that I am?" He saith unto them, "But whom ye say that whom uh, say ye that I am?" And Simon Peter answered and said, "Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the rock that Peter just confessed about, the Bible told you in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that Christ was the rock. Deuteronomy chapter 32, he's the rock. And when he says to Peter, who do men say that I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, you're right, Peter. And upon this rock that you just confessed on, the chief cornerstone, I'm going to build my church. show you another one. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. And he shall be for a sanctuary but for a, stum- a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel for a jinn, gin is a trap, and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. To whom coming as a living stone, disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious. You see that thing? Ye also, as lively stones, are build up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallow, scribes and the Pharisees, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereupon they also were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Israel, a peculiar people, that you show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Hey, it's so simple. God wanted the nation of Israel to give honor and glory to him through the world, that the world through Israel might see the glory of God. They said he he brought them out. He protected them. He hedged about them. He gave them everything that they needed and they rejected him. Finally, God said his own son and they killed him. But the one that they killed was the rock that God built the nation of Israel. Let me put it together for you. God built a nation, the nation of Israel. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 49, he built that nation out of living stones, out of pressing stones. I don't have time to get into it today. Kyle hit it right on it the other night when I was out of town and the three guys preached through Bible study and he talked about the great pyramid, the great pyramid over there of Giza and all that thing, and he laid that out for you and showed you the parallel between that and the Bible. That great pyramid is the picture of the nation of Israel. Within that pyramid is every mathematical formula that shows you the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the time of the Gentiles. It's got everything recorded in it. And back in the book of Isaiah, it is the, it is the monument that divides upper and lower Egypt. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, it stood by and nobody, nobody could find out what it was like. They couldn't even find a door in it. And back around, what, 1,200-some guy, some Arab was trying to dig in there to get all the plunder because they thought it was a tomb, and he's digging in sideways. And they're going in and going in. They're about ready to give up because they can't find a passageway. They can never have found the door. And just as they was getting ready to quit, they heard something go, And they knew something fell and hit ground. So they dug a little farther, and they broke into the main chamber that goes up. Inside that thing, you have a bottomless pit at the bottom. You have a queen's chamber for Israel. You have a king's chamber for for God the Father. And then there's another unknown chamber that they've never been able to find, that they've x-rayed, that they, they know is in there someplace, but they never be able to find that chamber. And they probably never will. You know why? Because that chamber represents the church, and the church is a mystery. Within that monument, that pyramid type of the universe... You got the number of the nation of Israel when they come out of Egypt. You got the 144,000 casing stones when they become the remnant in the tribe. You got everything you need. That's a picture of what God's talking about here. I mean, go to Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 12. Read about Mount Zion on the sides of the north. Where no man can go to. Where no fire can approach. It's not talking about Mount Zion any place on earth. Oh, we don't have time to get into that this morning. My point is this. And he made this house, a spiritual house, the nation of Israel, out of these stones. And in this house, God wanted to have one stone, a chief cornerstone, by which he was going to tie all the other stones into. And that stone was Christ. The builders of this house, scribes and the Pharisees, the kings of Israel, they rejected him. We sing the song, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says he's the true rock. He's the rock of Israel. But the builders of the house, we just saw the story in Matthew chapter 21, verse 33 through 46. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they rejected the rock. And once they rejected that rock, that rock became the rock of their offense. They had an attitude toward God now. Oh, they had all the pomp and circumstance. They had everything going. But Christ now was a rock of offense to them. And let me tell you something. Once you make Christ in your life the rock of offense, very quickly it became the stone that they stumbled over and became the stumbling stone and they broke their spiritual neck. And in the tribulation period, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 45, the Bible talks about the stone made without hands, the smiting stone that smashes the ten toes of Daniel's image, the Antichrist. So you go from the rock to the rock of offense, to the stumbling stone, to the smiting stone. You've got the picture of the nation of Israel and their history. It's just that simple. This was Israel's demise. God called them. Gave them everything. Elected them, called them, protected them, blessed them with all the purpose of them being God's vessel of honor. A living house. You see, you're not a living house. We're a living body. See the difference? They're a living house to God. We're a living body, the body of Christ. But oh, my friend, the parallels, the parallels are incredible. Now, you have to be blind I mean, once you see that Israel is God's people, and God, what He had for them as a nation, and they rejected it, and Christ became an offense to them, and then once He became offense, He became a stumbling stone, and then a smiting stone, hey, let me tell you something, one of the greatest parallels you will ever study in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 4, Israel as a nation is called God's Son. And in 1 John chapter 3, you and I as an individual are called God's son. And my, 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 the parallels are quite incredible. Quite incredible. You know, I've met over the years, seeing many of God's people. Many of God's people today, and all down through my ministry, has taken the salvation of God, salvation of their Savior. And then at a period of time in their life, Christ becomes offensive to them. They don't witness They don't read the Bible. They don't love the Bible. They don't care about the things of God. In fact, they right back where they were with the world. And Christ is an offense to them. The things of Christ are an offense to them. And just like with Israel, when that happens, and you make Christ in your life as a child of God, and He becomes an offense to you, say, how can you do that? The same way Israel did. Israel were God's chosen people. And when it came to a point with Christ, they said no. And when they said no, Christ then became an offense, which became a stumbling stone, which became a smiting stone. After you get saved, you got a choice. That choice is to let God have your life as a Christian. And all the honor and glory goes to him. Or you keep it for yourself and you take an offense toward Christ. That's where you're at today. If you're saved here this morning, you're in one boat or the other. If you're not saved then you ain't even in the boat. You're in the lake, <laughs> lake <of> fire. <clears throat> Did you ever do something really stupid? I mean, it really, it, you know, I'm in Kenya. I don't think ladies do this, but us guys do this, because guys, you know what? We're all got to be all the time. We got to be, we got to be in control. We got to be Mr. Macho, and we know. You know, that's the way we dress. So uh, It's the way you do your hair. See? I mean, it's true. We like to look nice. Some of you guys, you get your hair done. I get my hair cut. <laughs> they used to charge me for cutting it. Now they charge me for looking for it. But you know what? It's okay. What are you laughing at? <clears throat> Every time he goes into a pool hall, they say, hey, come over here. We're missing a cue ball. Anyway. <laughs> he can take it. He can handle Buddy pulling him over the table and ripping his shirt off. He can handle that. <laughs> Buddy's my dog. <clears throat> Ever do something stupid? Kind of like this, guys. You walk into a room, there's a bunch of really good looking ladies in there. And you know what? No man wants to look like a dork in front of a lot of good looking ladies. Now you may not be after them, or you may not. But you, we. Nobody wants to be <coughs> Dudley Do Right when you walk into a situation like that. <coughs> you want to be cool. <coughs> you want to be calm. <coughs> Guy walks in, eight or nine ladies all sitting around there. Walks into a room, has to go over here to, to do something, you know. And immediately he, he. And guys are like this. We know when women are watching. <laughs> you know, when ten eye go up, you know, and you're saying. And you're, and you're seeing every eye, every woman in there is looking at you. And one of them leaning over saying this. And you're saying, oh. you know what happens? You know, before you went in, it was, and now it's, you know. And before you walked in there, you know, you're now you're, you're just saying, oh, yeah. And you're walking over there, you know, and you're, you know, immediately, everything changes. You know, you, you start walking different. But before you came in like this, you know. Now it's, They're watching. And you're, you're going to respond to it because that's what guys do. So now it's. And you're thinking every woman in there is saying, he's hot. <laughs> you're thinking every woman in there, Brad Pitts just walked into the door, he's hot. <laughs> so you're walking over like this. You know, oh, come on, you all been there. He walk over to the guy, and the guy he said, "Hi there, how you doing?" He said, "Hi, how are you? Can you come over here a minute?" I said, "Yeah." He walks over and he says, "Hey, by the way, your zipper's down." <laughs> My first statement to him is, "Do you have a back way out?" <clears throat> how foolish we feel! We just thought that they were looking at me because of how good looking I am, that they saw some. You know, and you walk up to the guy, and you're going to play the part. Well, I want to get my car fixed, pilgrim. You know, you think you're going to play the whole part. Then you realize it was something about you that was absolutely goofy. Their attention toward you wasn't because they thought you were good looking. It was because you were an idiot. We've all done dumb things like that. I have a thing with people. When, walk, when they open the door, I'll walk behind somebody and I'll go like this. I'll go, oh, oh, uh, oh, uh, Or they'll open the door and I'll hit the door. Ah, and they'll say, oh, I am so sorry Did I hit you in the head. Of course they didn't. i just being a goof. Now, if you'd understand the way I was, and hey, I'm telling you, ain't really nothing wrong with me. It's just the way I was raised, you know. And I, and I'd, I do sometimes I'll go places. Uh, because to me, the funniest thing in the world, now not older folks. No, but you got to laugh. Hey, you know when people trip and stumble over dumb things, it's funny. Now some of you, some of you back there saying, "Oh, I think this is dumb. Oh, come on! You'll go home tonight and you'll watch America's funniest videos. And half of it is animals, and then half is people doing dumb things and falling down. Guy goes on a trampoline and jumps down, goes clean up, and lands on a picket fence. <laughs> oh, that's funny! Yeah, it's really good. I'll be back in a minute. I'm going to the hospital. But I, I think when people stumble, I, I think it, it, it's, 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 what are you going to do? I, I, I watched what and said in a movie. And a guy, and these are hilarious. A guy, during the movie, went down to get some popcorn. He's got a big thing of popcorn, drinks on it. And you know how the movie steps go up? He's walking up there and all of a sudden is. I mean, and snowstorm of popcorn. Now, I think that's funny. He didn't get hurt. But I think, I, think I, I can't help it. I mean, I look at those things, and I think to myself, wow, I, I've seen people trip over the carpet. Little bulge in the carpet. Oh, you know. I've been, I, I watched a guy come up to the, at the football game. He already had a couple too many beers, but he went down and bought six more. And he's coming up. And I'll tell you what, he tripped. Oh, man, them beers went everywhere. My point is this. When a person stumbles, everybody sees it. And everybody knows you stumbled. And no matter how you try to cover up the stumble, it just looks more ridiculous. I mean, if you're walking down the street and you're trying to be cool and you trip. Oh, yes, that was planned. I'm really doing good, huh? (laughs) Guy walking along, talking on a cell phone downtown, hits the curb. Yeah, I won the lottery. <laughs> Anything you do, make sure with popcorn. Now I think that's funny. He didn't get hurt. But I think I think I, I can't help it. I mean, I look at those things and I think to myself, wow, I, I've seen people trip over the carpet. Little bulge in the carpet. Oh, you know. I've been I, I watched a guy come up to the at the football game. He already had a couple too many beers, but he went down and bought six more. And he's coming up, and I'll tell you what, he tripped. Oh, man, them beers went everywhere. (laughs) My point is this. When a person stumbles, everybody sees it. And everybody knows you stumbled. And no matter how you try to cover up the stumble, it just looks more ridiculous. I mean, if you're walking down the street and you're trying to be cool, and you trip... Oh, yes, that was planned. I'm really doing good, huh? <laughs> Guy walking along, talking on a cell phone downtown, hits the curb. Yeah, I won the lottery. <laughs> Anything you do makes your trip look more ridiculous than it would have looked if you just said, oh, I tripped. tell you something when you and I as a Christian stumble and Christ who once was something that we loved the Bible something that we read we couldn't get along without and now we stumbled and now Christ is now the rock of offense everybody knows it one of the greatest verses in the Bible and if you're ever going to deal with people, a pastor, you need to mark this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. You know what it says? If any man love God, the same is known of him. You know, true love always identifies itself with the object in question. You know, guys, and I know some of you, you've done this before because we've laughed about it. Your wife's birthday comes up. You forget and you can't figure out why in the morning when you get up, she's got breakfast cooked for you, you know, and she's just all bopping around and she's excited because she's expecting a nice card, nice present. And, and she thought when she'd get up this morning, it'd be on the kitchen table, and it's not. No worries, you know, early in the day, you know, she, and you're saying, what's wrong with her, you know? And you'll go to work and she keeps looking out the window, you know, for roses to show up or whatever, you know? And you come home in the afternoon off from work and she's thinking, well, he hasn't said anything yet. No card? Where's, where's my present? And you say, oh, I know. I know, he bought me a car, he's going to drive it up, you're sticking out the front window, you know, and and, they, and he's in there, what is her deal, you know, and, and then and after a while, you know, it's getting to be 8 or 9 o'clock, and, and she's saying, well, man, I mean, this must be a big surprise, I guess my mom and dad's going to bring it over or something, and, and you're waiting for somebody to ring the doorbell, you know, and, and nothing happens, and you go to bed, and the light turns out, and the guy's sitting there, laying there going to go to sleep, and all of a sudden, you hear this, Whack! turn the line on you say what's the matter she says you forgot my birthday now at that point I this is what I would advise you not to say <laughs> don't say well honey you know I love you anyhow you know why because true love always identifies itself with the object now guys if that ever happened to you when you tell your wife that is she's going to believe you no she's not well what makes you think God is going to believe you When he gave you everything and asked back in all of your life, you just ignore him and you take what you want for yourself and you just do nothing with what he gave you. When you stumble, it shows. 35 years of my ministry, the dumbest thing in the world to me, I ain't kidding you, the dumbest thing in the world for me is for Christians when they get out of fellowship with God is they try to hide it. They try to pretend everything is okay when it isn't okay. They stumble and they try to say, oh, yeah, that was just on purpose. Man, look at me. No, no, not at all. No, you, you go, you have the fake talk. Then you have the fake walk. Then you have the fake smile. Then you have the fake attitude. And it's all, it's all part, just come down to the point where you say, you know what? I'm wrong. I'm out of fellowship. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to get it back. And he's never going to be in a rocking offense to me again. Just as you can't pretend you didn't trip over something, you can't pretend you didn't trip over Christ. He's now your rock of offense, and at one time that rock was your life, it was your truth, it was your sure foundation, and now you're stumbling. That's Israel's problem today. Israel has the law, they have the torrent, they have the traditions, they have the talmud, they have the sacrifices, they have the priesthood, they have everything, but they have no God. And most of God's people, we have a Bible, we have a church, we have songs, we have this, we have a pastor, we have people who love you, we have people that have the Holy Spirit of God living inside us, and you know what? Why in the world does Christ become an offense to us? And then we wonder why we stumble. Remember what I said, and I read right now, in this particular point, when it, you fall on it, it breaks you. But when it falls on you later, it crushes you to power, judgment seat of Christ. It's just that simple. You see, the parallels between the nation of Israel and you and me are incredible. Just in the Old Testament, as God, Romans chapter 9, God called out the nation of Israel, brought them out, hedged about them, gave them everything they need to be God's chosen people that He might get the honor and glory through them, the bear fruit through them. And they said, no thanks. And they're going to get it later in that short work when God brings them back as his people. And now God, because they reneged on it, God turned his attention to me and you, the church. And if you're here this morning and you're saved and you know for sure in your heart you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, I want to be very honest with you. The bottom line is this. God saved you and kept you alive today for one reason. That is that you might bring honor and glory from him in everything in your life. And I know that many of you young Christians, you're working through your problems, you're getting to that point. not talking about that. That is a natural process. I'm talking about you making a conscious choice after you know he saved you, after you know your Bible, after you know what's going on. You know what? It's just unreasonable for me to give my life to him. And when you do that, you make him an offense. The rock that God gave you to be the sure foundation now becomes the rock of your offense. And then you stumble on that rock. And when you do, the whole world sees it. I'm telling you, the greatest lesson you'll ever learn about your walk with God is the lesson that Israel, when they rejected that cornerstone that God gave them, and that rock was Christ, and it became a rock and a fence, and then they have broken their spiritual neck on it. And that's where a lot of God's people are headed. Not necessarily people here, but that's where a lot of God's people are headed. We live in a day where Christ is an offense to us. Believing we have a Bible, getting up and talking about it. you going out to a restaurant before you eat, praying for your food. Oh, somebody might say, somebody might think something. Well, let them think it. Let them see it. What God wants out of your life. I mean, he's the one that gave it to you. He's the one that gave the rain for the guy to grow it. He's the one that gave the guy the ability to put the seeds in the ground. You only got it because he gave it to you. Rock of offense. Rock of ages. cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. He's either going to be your rock of ages or he's going to be your rock of offense. But you get to choose. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for these great truths that are found in Romans chapter 9. And Lord, as we close out chapter 9 today, let us fully understand and remember what we've read today. And Lord, not only is this parallel to Israel, but it comes right back in our lap. Because we today, as your body of believers... We exist for one reason and one reason only, and that is the fact that God will get the honor and glory out of our lives.